In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner? three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The other thing that annoyed me was something that Paul said at the very beginning, which was, it's really hot in the tent today, so the bakers have to concentrate on what they're doing. And it's like, oh, that's a really helpful bit of advice, Paul. Yes, that's all you need to do on a hot day, just concentrate. Well, welcome back to the Bake Down podcast. This is Josh Landy, founder of Bake With A Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former Bake Off stars. And you can now do this from anywhere in the world with our virtual classes. If you're getting in the mood for Christmas, why not sign up for Karen Wright's Frangipan Mince Pie class or Dan Beasley Harling's Yule Log class? Those are just two of the many classes we have online. And remember to use the code PODCAST to get 10% off all bookings. We'd also love to hear from you if you're thinking about getting a group together online for some team building, family get-togethers or virtual Christmas parties. Now, Howard wasn't quite sure about calling it 1980s week, but alongside Jane and the always entertaining Dan Beasley Harling, we reflected on another enjoyable week in the tent. We're now approaching the quarterfinal stages and none of us can call the winner. We hope you enjoy the episode and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Well, hello and welcome back to the seventh episode of the 2020 series of the Bake Down podcast once again we are thrilled to be joined by dan beasley harling as well as jane and howard of course and we are reflecting on what i believe was the first ever 1980s week dan am i right was it the first ever 1980s week yeah as far as i can remember it was the first i mean obviously they've done sort of historical periods but i think it's the only sort of recent period they've done although i was very upset by peter remarking that he was born in the year 2000 and referring to the 1980s as ancient history and i think we can safely say we've all gone off peter immediately haven't we um <laughs> i thought yes. that was a very cruel um, thing to say 
Yeah, well, it's been a couple of weeks anyway since Howard changed to his favourite to win the competition is. So have you gone off Peter sufficiently now, Howard? <laughs> I've not got, I've not completely gone off Peter. I think he just needs um, sort of a little bit of direction about being nicer to older people. Right? Yeah, cruel, cruel. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the oldest one in this um, quartet of people, uh, yeah, um, by a long way... Um, I'm not at all offended. I'm just used to being old. I think Benjamina said that I was old school, and that was when I was on the show. So, um, yeah, sorry, guys. It's what happens when you uh, get over 30. Now, Howard, Paul referred to himself as an 80s boy at heart. Is that how you'd, how would you describe yourself, Howard? Is that similar? I, I think we are of similar age, yeah. So, I think definitely. Um, the 80s were a period when I, I just graduated. I was, you know, looking for my first job, trying to make some money. I have to say, I, it, I don't look back at it with the, the fondness that Paul seems to. But, uh, but yeah, I think that just depends upon personal circumstances, doesn't it? Dan, what were you doing in the, uh, in the 1980s that you remember fondly? In the 1980s, I was mainly soiling myself, I think. I was born in 82, um, so it was... <laughs> Nothing's changed then. Not much. Um, <laughs> I will go back to it in the end. Um, no, uh, the, my, one of my earliest remembers, memories, actually, is of the 1988 Olympics. Um, so I sort of, I remember little slivers of the 80s, but not not any great detail, I'm afraid. Um, I, my father um, inculcated me in all the lovely music of the 80s, but no, in terms of real 80s experience, I'm afraid uh, it's a little, a little bit before my time. Dan, would you have been baking in the 80s in those first eight years of Dan? Were you baking so young? Ooh, do you know what? I probably would have helped my mother make flapjacks and jam tarts and things, um, but I don't know. I think I got interested in baking when I was about 12 or 13, so no, that would have been in the mid-90s. That would have been Nirvana baking or something. I don't know. Well, Jane, I don't know about you. I just got the feeling in this week's episode that it might have been just a little bit warm in the tin. It wasn't really mentioned, but it felt it was implied almost <laughs> at times. What, what, what did you, you must have had a couple of hot days as well, because it is usually filmed over a period of the year where you can get days like that. Yes, I'm not sure when they filmed it this year, but yes, it looks as though they had an absolute scorcher. I must say we didn't ever have anything as hot as that. Um, I think at one point it was 28 degrees and then it I was trying to keep track and then they said it was 35 degrees in the afternoon for the technical. I mean, that must have been beastly and of course it was a weekend a weekend when they're making ice cream we we had it um when we were doing mini mousse cakes so we were having to get gelatin to set the mousse um and of course that wasn't setting either so there was a lot of slop going on and we also had quite a hot day when we were doing a mousse bouche and i had some little cones of phyllo pastry that were filled with delicious cherry and cream with the cherry on the top and you could see the the cream just melting and the cherries falling off so I think it happens you know you have a you have a week where you need tend to be warm so bread and it's cold and you have an ice cream week and we've had it before what 
was that your series? That wasn't your series, was it, Howard? It was Nancy's series. Yeah. Um, yeah. With Ice Cream Gate, when um, Ian chucked it in the bin because nothing was setting. So it just happens. If it's Ice Cream Week, it's going to be hot in the tent. And I think it was the hottest it's ever been. Poor things. I felt really felt for them. Yeah, I do think, though, like Paul sort of said, you know, well, of course, we didn't know it was going to be hot when we were doing this ice cream challenge. And you could see him desperately trying to stifle a smile. They know. They know this is going to happen. They know it's going to be hot. Of course they know. And, uh, yeah, the melting disasters do make brilliant t television, but it does seem all a little bit cruel, doesn't it? I don't know. Now, before we get into this week's episode, Howard, we have had an email in. This is from Elizabeth and Alex in Maryland in the United States. They said, hi, everyone. Just want to share with my that my husband and I are huge fans of your show. We watched the episode on Saturday and discussed the podcast later in the week after our commuting. Uh, listening time has become a tradition in our household. Uh, my husband even signed us up for a Bake with a Legend class as a birthday surprise. Now, we were discussing this show and pondering this question. Who writes the briefs? Do the judges write them? So, Howard, can you shed any light? Who comes up with these briefs? Oh, that's really interesting because I suppose um, the, the idea is that the, the judges come up with an idea, possibly. Um, certainly, I think in terms of the technical challenges, they are cl closer to uh, the judges in terms of um, the direction and the actual recipe and so on. But I, I think generally, I think it's somebody in the production team who who would be working on the brief. So I think the, the judges will be consulted, but I think it's probably one of the food producers that, um, that uh, comes up with ideas. They possibly even do it as a sort of group discussion as well. Well, let's get looking at what was in 1980s week. And the first task, Jane, was to make eight individual quiches looking for two savoury flavours. Now, this is a classic. We're going to get this every year in Bake Off. You have to make a good short crust pastry. What did you make of the challenge this week? I thought it was a nice challenge. Um, I'd Prue irritated me a fraction, um, and I'm a great Prue fan. But she said um, in in the 80s it was called quiche Lorraine, um, which it was. So we used to do it with slices of tomatoes decorating the top. I mean, it looked very 80s. Um, but she said, you know, which was onion, bacon and cheese. Um, but we don't want that. We want something more modern. I don't think onion, bacon and cheese is... You know, you shouldn't consign that to the heap of historic recipes you're not going to um, make again. I think it's an absolutely delicious combination. And actually, whose was it? Somebody did um, a very a very similar one of those, and she said it was absolutely delicious. So I just wish they'd get their stories right, to be honest. Now, Dan, I mentioned there about it being hot in the tent. So just tell us, what is it that makes short crust pastry particularly difficult when it's hot? What have you got to try and be aware of? Well, with with most pastries, you, ideally you need it to be cold, apart from shoe and hot water crust. But mainly you, you want pastry to be cold so that the fat doesn't melt. And in fact, I have warm hands and I need to run my hands under cold water when I'm handling pastry because otherwise my hands will just melt the fat instantly. So yeah, it is tricky. You have to work very quickly 
I, the, I think the secret is to work quickly and efficiently so the fat doesn't all melt out of, of the pastry. That just comes down to experience. So I think, you know, those most experienced with pastry are going to be able to do it quickly and get it get it tucked away faster and hopefully got time to chill it down. I was um, horrified that Hermine didn't blind break her pastry, um, but I was thrilled for her that it did work out um, because I did not expect that to. Well, while we're talking about Hermine, Howard, what did you make of that moment where... Laura came over to assist her, and I wasn't quite sure what the advice was. Did she go to a different setting on the oven? Dan, I'll just come to you because you look quite sure on that one before we go to Howard. No, I just have something to say about that, which is, um, so the ovens have, it's a bit of a weird oven. And um, so on the regular oven setting, it only goes up to 200 fan, uh, which isn't very high. And um, then there's a separate bread setting where it can go up to like 290, I think it is really, really hot. And I just thought that was really, really lovely because um, in my, I mean, obviously it's far more memorable to me than to anyone else. But in the week I went home, I sort of had a pie in the oven and it desperately needed to cook. And if I'd have remembered that there was a bread setting where I could have made the oven hotter, there was a chance it might have been cooked. So I thought for Laura to come over and say to someone, hey, I know how to make your oven hotter for you. But I thought that was just such a lovely thing to do. And we know that, you know, Laura's um, sort of struggled in the past. Um, so for her to so early sort of give someone else a leg up, I thought was beautiful. That was a, speaks to her character, certainly. Yeah, it was a nice one. Howard, what did you what did you make of it then? So that was, you know, Laura coming over to give uh, Hermione the advice. And it almost seemed like to surprise Hermione that she got really good feedback in the end because she seemed the whole way through like it was going to head for a disaster and it went so well in the end. It, it did go well. And I think although Prue pointed out that there was just a little bit of, of softness in the middle underneath uh, on the quiches, um, I think the, the, the way that she'd approached it, the fact that she'd gone for pretty classic um, flavours and executed it really well um, was... Um, I, I th well, I think it was a surprise, but also in, in many respects, I, it, it's it's what you, we've come to expect from Hermine, isn't it? There was a moment, Jane, where Hermine said that she likes cooking more than baking, and and I thought that was quite interesting. I mean, there were so many like flavors are getting put into all these bakes they're making, but you know, I wondered if maybe she just didn't get onto MasterChef at one point the way she said it. <laughs> <laughs> She'd probably be very good at MasterChef, wouldn't she? Um, her flavours are always lovely. Um, I don't know. It irritates me slightly that they there is such a huge distinction made out to be between baking and cooking. If I'm in the kitchen and I'm baking something, I feel as though I'm cooking. You know, you... <sighs> I, I do think baking's a bit more sciencey because you've got to get the proportions right and you can't taste things very often before it's baked. You don't know what it's like, all that sort of stuff. But I don't know about you guys, but I think baking is cooking. Cooking isn't baking. It goes one way, I think. So um, just going back to Hermine, which her, her tart sounded absolutely delicious, but I wasn't 100% sure... Didn't she blind bake? I've got written here, 55 minutes remain and not blind baked. In that bit that you didn't see, do you think she might have blind baked it? Because I always find quiches, if you don't blind bake them, you can't cook them for long enough to get the bottom of the pastry 
cooked because the the custard that you put in just keeps that pastry soggy you've got to bake it for really quite a long time to get it to get it um cooked and, and i wasn't sure whether she'd slipped it in and we hadn't seen that she'd blind baked it i don't know so it's sometimes hard isn't it with the filming and the editing to see exactly what goes on Howard, there was a, another moment I wanted to pick up on where we'd seen last week Paul Hollywood demand that burgers had relish taken off them to be more to his taste. Now, we had Prue. I don't know what she's got against baked beans or what they've ever done to her, but she seemed to be aggressively against them. But it was nice to see that she didn't go up to Lottie and demand that they're removed or that there was a quiche made without them for her. Absolutely. And I, I, I thought that was a, a really strong contrast of the approaches of the two judges, because um, she said, we're going to taste it as if we have no prejudices at all, which I think is exactly what the judges should do. And it just made me a little bit more angry about Paul's um, approach last week. I have to say, I'm in the same camp as Prue. I don't like bright beans. Sorry. <gasps> I, I don't want to go into what they've done to me in the past either. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Pam, you weren't with us for the podcast last week. What did you make of the uh, pool demanding the, you know, no relish on the burger? Oh, I, I didn't think that was cute. It rem- like, we, I have obviously two small children who are like, oh, I don't like that. I don't want to eat that. Um, so I have to deal with this all the time. And my attitude is, I've made what I've made for dinner. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it. I'm not making two meals. I'm not doing it again. If there's bits you don't like, you can pick them out. Like I And I kind of, you know, dear Paul, who I actually think is lovely, but he is, you know, he's a fully grown adult man. And if he doesn't want to eat the pickles, he can just pick them out. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't particularly I- impressed by that. But also, as I often say to my kids, you know, like, I don't particularly like green beans, but like I eat them anyway because they're good for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, because they're part of the dish. You just you don't you don't sit there moaning about the beans and, and, and you know, I don't know. I, I hate people who complain about food. And it's, I, it's, my mother always taught me, it's very, very bad manners to complain about food. And if you don't like it, you just leave it on your plate. You don't need to tell everyone about it. And that's, um, that's, that's sort of how I was raised. So, yeah, it does get the, ha- the hackles on my, the back of my neck up a bit when people moan about not liking food. There you go. That could have rivaled um, Howard Hump. Now, Jane, <laughs> did anyone's in particular... Um, leap out to you i mean mark has been at pains to tell us what part of the country he's come from and and so again with his uh, cornish inspired quiche yes and i'm sorry to say when i heard what the flavor combinations were it made me go um i would never think really to put cheese and fish together so he had cod and cornish blue Love cod, love Cornish blue. Not sure that I put them together. Or smoked haddock and cheddar. They're just not combinations that set me alight. So I really appreciate him trying to use his local ingredients, but that didn't do it for me, to be honest. Um, I'm going to tell you about the ones I don't like. I, I didn't like the one Dave's. I didn't like either of Dave's. Beef and cooked avocado. I can't bear cooked avocado. I would have eaten it if I'd been a judge. Um, or the scrambled egg, the double egg. Didn't like that idea. Um, I probably liked her means the most um the classic combinations i love gruyere um mushroom and spinach are fantastic um 
it's interesting. I, I, I quite like Peter's as well. Um, I wasn't mad about Lottie's. I, I, I love baked beans, but I would probably wouldn't have put them in a quiche. Um, and Laura sounded nice. I thought Laura sounded nice, actually. So, yeah, a couple I liked, but probably the most classics and the ones I wasn't mad about were the ones with the sort of trying to be interesting for the sake of it, I felt. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled with the fish and cheese and fish and cheese. It just seemed like it's incredibly uninspired. Um, I don't know. I'm just surprised that he was okay with serving up essentially two variations of the same quiche. It just seemed a little odd, didn't it? Um, but yeah, I like the sound of uh, Lottie's just because I love black pudding. Um, so I like the sound of Lottie's. Um, and Laura's also, Laura sounded like something that I would do with the feta pea and asparagus and then just like a nice spicy meaty one. So I like the, the I like the sound of those, but I don't, I wasn't blown away by anybody in the signature. Um, there was nothing, I don't know, maybe I'm being un unfair, but there was nothing sort of truly mind blowing in there. Um, but some good pastry, which is, I guess the point of it. So um, yeah, mildly successful and maybe not inspiring. Just finally on the signature challenge here, Howard, I mean, Dave, I couldn't, I mean, there was a lot of eggs going on. I couldn't quite work out. Was it sort of scrambled egg with it as well that he was trying to reach? I think Paul looked a little bit uncertain about it when he came over, didn't he? I don't know. What, I, I think he must have had a strange dream or something, Dave. I can't imagine why you would even come up with the idea of putting scrambled egg inside an egg custard. It's like... And he, he seemed to, to, to feel that he'd come up with something quite revolutionary in doing so. But I think everybody was thinking, well, it's just going to be like little bits of egg inside egg. Yeah, bizarre. What I would have done if you wanted to do a full English is perhaps in each of the little tarts put a, a quail egg and then that would have cooked as the tart cooked. So you could have seen the bits rather than have the scrambled. I'm... I'm I'm with Howard. I think he must have had a bad dream or something. I think it's probably one of those situations where, like you say, Howard, you think you've come up with something brilliant, um, but actually you're just going to make it look like you ruined your custard by accident. It's just like, I don't know. I don't quite know what he was thinking. We've all made scrambled egg in a quiche before, but not on purpose. Like, you know. <laughs> I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the stripped media family a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Let's move on to the technical challenge. And Jane, this was a, a fun one. You've been teaching donut classes online for uh, Bait with a Legend. This was a challenge, six custard and jam finger donuts to make a golden color. And they had two hours and 45 minutes here. What did you make of this challenge? Well, we do it in about an hour and 45, don't we, when in the class, um, which is a bit of a rush, but we do manage to get them all done. Um, 
yeah, no, great challenge. Very, very 80s. Uh, they look great. I thought I might start making some finger donuts. Um, I don't well, I don't like creme mousseline very much. I love creme pat. Um, and, and whisking butter into it just makes it all a bit, a wee bit greasy and oily for me. I, I'm, I'm not a great mousseline fan. However, I mean, I thought they looked lovely. I must admit, when I saw Dave cranking his fryer up to 180, it worried me because... We we fry them at 160 and I think do about a minute and a bit each side and that cooks them perfectly. I think you need it that bit lower and slower in order to get the dough cooked in the middle, um, but not too brown on the outside, which is really what happened to him. But, yeah, love, uh, lovely challenge. I thought they all looked very nice. Well, with the exception of Dave's, they all look very nice at the end. Um I mean, I think they were on brief for 80s week, weren't they? But we didn't, they used to do them. You could buy them in the high street and they had that really artificial whipped cream, which actually I absolutely love. <laughs> which just goes <laughs> to show that I have no taste, probably. I just have to say, Jane, I really like creme mousseline, so I don't know. I don't know. You Maybe you make it badly, Jane. I don't know. Absolutely um <laughs> Maybe um, I do. <laughs> no, I love creme mousseline just because it's not so sweet. And if you're pairing it with something that is already very sweet, uh, then I think it, I think it is a good combination. Uh, but your donut's not actually that sweet. So, yeah, maybe it could have benefited from a little bit more sugar. And also maybe, I mean, maybe I should pay more attention to my waistline, Jane. Um, but, yeah, no, I love a creme mousseline. Um, I did. Poor old Dave. His were full burnt, though, weren't they? I mean, they were burnt. <laughs> like, it was like, I did what <laughs> Oh dear, poor old Dave. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was a great challenge. But, uh, you know, again, if you've never made a donut, I mean, hopefully you have made a donut if you get onto Bake Off, but it's very, very easy to accidentally um, set the temperature too high. And I'm actually quite impressed that only one of them uh, sort of burnt theirs to a crisp. Um, so I think it did a job. Yeah, but, but creme mousseline is delicious, Jane. I'll come to my uh, macaron class, Jane, and I'll teach you how to make a lovely creme mousseline, all right? Yeah, okay, Dan. <laughs> I'll come to your class and you can teach me how to cook. You know how to go at old people this week, isn't it? Um, I like whipping um, mascarpone into my creme pat. That makes a really mm. nice, instead of being quite so right. Okay, I'll give it another go, Dan. Right. <laughs> now, Howard. I was wondering what you made of Peter saying he's never fried anything before because, you know, Dave presumably had and he ended up with burnt donuts. Now, Peter said he never even fried anything before. He didn't have time in the 20 years he's been on Earth to fry anything. I thought that was surprising, actually. I, I mean, I, I think um, Jane and I have spoken on previous occasions about the fact that there are certain things that you would try and have a go at before you... You go on bake off. I, I must admit, I've never used one of those uh, fryers, and I've never actually used uh, an ice cream maker. Um, but I, I've, I've de- certainly put um, fat into a, a big pan and and deep fried that way, and I've I've made ice cream churning it by hand. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a bit sort of low tech in my approach. But I think um, it's worth having a go at these things before you go into the Bake Off tank. Yeah, he did refer to it as uh, quite a rush to deep fry something, which makes you imagine what he would be like if he was presented with the opportunity to go for a skydive or or something similar. (laughs) Um, Jane, what did you make of him not having time to practice his deep frying before going in the tent? I'm just very surprised. I think that he hadn't deep fried anything, but you know, 
kids are a lot more health conscious these days. Um, mind <laughs> you, he, does come, he does come from Scotland, so clearly no um, deep fried Mars bars up there. Um, perhaps he is the other end of the scale. Um, no, but he did a nice job for all that, didn't he? I think it just goes to show how... Um, what a good baking brain he's got. And I say it every week. I mean, he's, he is Howard in disguise. You know, he, he thinks his bakes, he seems to have a huge amount of experience, which obviously he can't have because he's only 20. But what, oh, yeah, I, I, he astounds me every week. And if he has never deep fried anything, then good for him. I like a bit of deep frying me. And a donut is absolutely delicious. I can't be doing it with all those baked donuts. Mind you, we made churros on our series, and practicing those, they exploded in my kitchen several times. I, I, I can't bear churros, but um, donuts, yeah, delicious. Dan, I, I wanted to ask you about something we saw that was a little bit unusual, was that they must have all been given fans on the end of their bench, and they were using those fans at different points in this episode to cool down what was in front of them. Is that an effective baking tip that you can share with people? I mean, here comes the science. Um, but like what, the fan obviously cools you down because it encourages evaporation. I'm not sure how much that helps with a bake, really. I mean, it can help form a skin on like macaron or something. But I think they, they were mainly because they had the big wet cloths, didn't they? And then they had the fan sort of cooling them down, which left very attractive patterns on some of the contestants. Um, and I think uh, Laura had a fan stuffed down her top at one point. Uh, it was certainly quite amusing, but I, unfortunately in that tent, nothing is going to keep you cool. We, I was there on some incredibly hot days, and not only is the ambient temperature incredibly hot, you obviously have a whole rigging of studio lights above you, the ovens are all on, and leaning over a deep fat fryer, they're all going to be absolutely roasting. And I just dread to think what they would have smelled like when they had to rewore those clothes the next day. Well, I was going to ask about this one because... This week, more than ever, it looked like the clothes needed to wash. Surely they were sent to a laundrette or similar, or maybe they must have had an in-house laundrette in the bubble. Howard, what do you think? They can't have been expected to put on those sweaty clothes for a second day, surely? I, I, you would hope not, but I can't. I'm not entirely sure. I know in, in our year, if you got anything on your clothes, it was just a case of trying to sponge it down as best as possible. But this was probably ingrained sweat, wasn't it? Which is not going to be um, uh, spongeable, really. <laughs> I have to say, if if anyone. Oh. If anyone for a second thought I was even a little bit charming, this is going to ruin it forever. Uh, but yeah, no, at the end of the first day, I would often have like horrible sweat stains on my clothes and I would literally have to rinse them out in the hotel sink and leave them up to dry to get rid of the, the sweat rings. Like it was, it was revolting. And you would, you would kind of think that they would be offered a laundry service, but that, that, was not, that was not offered. I did even ask at the hotel front desk if they had an overnight laundry service. Uh, I was prepared to pay, but um, they, they did not have one. So I would imagine they were all wearing exactly the same clothes. It was quite cold when we started filming. So you could rinse things out and put them on the radiator because the radiators were on. Frankly, by the time I got halfway through, I didn't care whether I smelled the next day and I really couldn't be bothered to wash out overnight. And I wasn't going to be buying doubles of absolutely everything i would hope that they could have 
on a day so hot I've washed it for them, but I bet they didn't. I bet that was pretty rank in the tent by the time they got to the showstopper. Now, Dan, overall here, they did pretty well on these. I thought, well, certainly her minds were great. Pieces are good. Mark got good feedback. And then it seemed we had a divide there. And we knew at that point, one of Laura, Lottie or Dave was probably going to be leaving, I thought. Mm. Yeah. As, as so much is often the way with Bake Off, it comes down to the showstopper. And it's, it becomes a test of who can hold their nerve, who can deal best with the pressure. And... Um, I've seen other people crack and I've cracked myself. And it's sort of, I think more than anything else, that's that's going to be the test for them in the showstop is who can handle the pressure and who falls to pieces. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, they, we'd sort of been set up that it was going to be one of those three. And I was, I was nervous. I mean, to be honest, I was nervous for all of them because any of them could have gone today. Let's just get on to talking about the showstopper. Uh, to reimagine the, an, Ice cream cake, needing one baked element. They could have whatever flavors and styles they wanted. Um, and four hours, 30 minutes were given to do this. I thought of you straight away because one of the first things, Howard, we heard was Laura saying that a, a bucket full of wine is better than a bucket full of ice cream. Are you of similar sentiments on that one? I love that. I love the fact that my reputation precedes me. Yes, I think I, think I, I, I would be on that. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit more of a, a red wine person, so it's not usually chilled. But I think I, I totally understand where Laura's coming from on a hot day like that. A nice, cool uh, white wine would be delicious. Yeah, I can understand what she was saying. Now, Jane, it was a sad moment when she realised she had not pressed the button on her ice cream maker. Now, is this fair? Should someone have pointed this out? Is this really about her baking ability or her ability as a cook? How do you feel about this situation, Jane? No, you can't have somebody coming around and telling her that her ice cream maker isn't chilling because then they'd come around and tell you, as in, oh, series happened Andrew hadn't turned his oven on or you know you, you, they try to stay as completely um neutral as they possibly can and and if somebody had said something to Laura then maybe they would have spotted something on somebody else's bench and had to have pointed it out to them so I, I, you know we're all grown-up people we've been you know they would have all have been told how to use their ice cream maker and when I'm making ice cream, I've, I've got one of those little ones that hasn't got the chiller unit in it. So you have to chill down your container um, uh, 24 hours, 48 hours before you use it. But I always check to see whether my ice cream's going cold. Now, I know they're in the tent and I know you don't always check things and the pressure really gets to you. But no, she's uh, um, a, a grown up girl and it was up to her to make sure her ice cream maker was on. And Dan, the fact that she didn't notice for 40 minutes... I mean, that seemed a long time because you don't have to be an expert to kind of sense what you had in there 40 minutes ago after 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If it doesn't look right or on the way, shouldn't you notice? Um, yes and no. So I have a, I have an ice cream maker in that style, sort of a one that you don't have to pre-chill. It sort of it has a refrigeration within itself and it takes about 40 minutes to make an ice cream. So that's why she noticed after 40 minutes because she was like, it should be done by now. Yeah, it's one of those things because you literally set it and forget it. You don't, you, you don't have to think about it. So it's obviously that's what happened. She just, she, she suddenly didn't notice. I might have 
checked it. There are signs you can see where the ice is forming on the outside. So that so maybe if she'd been paying closer attention, she would have noticed. Um, but uh, no, I think that's sort of, it's sort of fair enough that that it took her a while to notice. But yeah, you did sort of think, wow, you've you know you've scuppered this for yourself and on something so basic as just not switching on a button. Um, some so I uh, my my uh, heart sank through my stomach worrying about poor Laura. Yeah, because, you know, everyone has to leave the bake-off process at at some point apart from one person who goes in. So, you know, but you would hate to feel that you'd left because you forgot to turn on a button. So in the end, I was slightly relieved that she doesn't have to have that on her shoulders that she left the process possibly for not putting a button on. Howard, of all the uh, showstoppers here, which ones took, took your eye? Which ones did you think were fairly impressive here? I loved the idea of Lottie's and I thought it was a great shame that she didn't manage to pull it off. I thought the, the cassette tape was a, a, a lovely idea. I actually thought when, when it was cut into, I thought the layering in it was was, was quite impressive. And although um, Prue said that the chocolate ice cream was delicious, Paul sort of contradicted her and said he wasn't getting anything at all from it. So I'm thinking, well, I don't know why your taste buds are then if... Uh, if Bruce says it's delicious, but you can't taste anything. But anyway, I'm I'm slightly bitter about that, aren't I? Um, what else did I like? I liked uh, Peter's ice cream Christmas cake. I think it's quite a traditional thing to do, um, an ice cream that has a, a Christmas cake or Christmas pudding flavour. Um, I think the idea of putting a fruit cake in there as well, which is what it looked like the bottom layer was, was probably a step too far. I would have probably gone for something like an almond sponge or something to just give that that kind of um, marzipan flavour, but without going for too much heaviness. And he had some alcohol, Howard, in his. Was it was it brandy? And that's possibly harder to, to make work in, in something like this? Yeah, and, and I think anybody who would put uh, additional things in, like Mark with his honey, um, yeah, you, you, it is going to make it slightly more difficult. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's getting that balance right between trying to do something which has great flavour and which is a bit different from what other bakers are doing, but at the same time, something which is going to be achievable and is going to end up with a result that you're happy with. Yeah, I think um, Peter didn't really. Um, there's two people who really didn't seem to 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 properly think through how this was all going to work out. And one of them was Lottie, and the other one was Peter, um, because I think Peter used alcohol in his ice cream, which lowers the um, the freezing point, um, which is great for if, for if you don't want to churn your ice cream. But if you've got a churner in front of you, I'd have just used a flavoring. I would probably wouldn't have used uh, real alcohol. And he and then he had sort of the solid lumps of fruit in it. I don't think the textures worked. Um, but luckily, Peter wasn't really in any danger. But yeah, Lottie, I don't know what she was thinking. I'm trying to put ice cream on the outside of on the outside of a cake. Uh, I, that was just such an error. You could tell from the start that wasn't going to work. Um, the person who I liked the most was Mark, uh, who, and I'm so thrilled. Well, I'm not thrilled. We don't have to say Mark with a C and Mark with a K anymore. We'll get onto that in a minute. But um, he did a, a jaconde um, and enclosed the ice cream within it. And I thought that was that was perfect. That's exactly what I'd have done. Sort of built up like an entremet. Um, that had the most chance of success. It would have had the cleanest outside. Really smart. Um, yeah. I, I thought Mark's was brilliant um, and I can't remember what it tasted like or what the textures were, but visually I thought that was, and technically it seemed like the the best choice that anyone made. 
And Jane, if we if we come to you, firstly, what did you make of Lottie's in terms of the idea? And do you agree with Dan there that it was possibly never going to work? And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on Dave because he ended up was it piping the ice cream? A slightly different approach. Um, yeah, Lottie's. I I think I I wasn't so mad about the idea as Howard. I could see how you get this idea in your head and you think it's a fantastic idea and. I don't know how much time they had to practice that, but it, it was never, ever going to work as far as I was concerned. I mean, what she could have possibly done was make a cassette mould and line that with chocolate and then poured her ice cream into it. But carving the outside of an ice cream, I think in what is inevitably going to be a hot hot day, they, they know when they get their schedules that they're going to be filming that in June, July, Um and, and generally we have some decent weather in June and July. But yeah, I, I, I wasn't mad about the idea and certainly poor Lottie, poor Lottie, poor our ass. We're not going to see her anymore. Just didn't pull it off. I think it was too risky. You need to, you need to temper your ideas to what's feasible in the tent. Thing. And Dave, hmm, I, I, I like the idea of piping ice cream, but I, I've never tried to pipe it because if it's frozen, what might have worked would have been if it, when it came out of the churner, it's still quite soft. If he had already assembled the cake and then he piped it out of the churner onto the top and then frozen it hard, that might have worked. Um, I was quite, um, it it did look a bit of a mess on, on the top, but you know, credit to him for trying. I was quite intrigued by the way they did this. Everybody um, did it. I was trying to think how I would have made these ice cream cakes. I certainly would have gone the mark route with um, a sponge around the outside to hold it all together. But, you know, why didn't they pour their ice cream out of the churner straight into their mould, put another layer of sponge or whatever on top, and then layers it up before it had all gone really hard, instead of freezing it in a tin, lifting that out and assembling it, because there were quite a lot of gaps, weren't there? The, it, you could see that things had just been wrapped around or put on top. And I think it would have taken a lot of the stress out if they'd frozen it like that and not had to handle it too much once they'd got frozen slabs that they then put back in again I don't know about how you guys think but I just think I might have approached it a little differently um and I might have stuck in one of my elements as not being a custard-based ice cream being one of those um ones that I make quite a lot with condensed milk and I whisk mine up with yogurt and and double cream and that way you don't have to churn it so that would have saved a process of cooling down your custard before you put it in i think I, I might have thought my way through this one i think it was as much strategy as it was baking and assembly I, I just question whether there was enough time to freeze it if they did it in one lump i'm just saying that because i'm thinking back to the final of season oh god which one the one where sophie won um that the final of that season they had to make an entremet and i know they were freezing it sort of in layers as they went because there wasn't enough time to make everything first and then freeze it so i'm thinking maybe there wasn't enough and you're absolutely right jane that would have looked much neater and been easier but i just i don't question whether they they had enough time to freeze it mm. if they'd have done that 
Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm right. It possibly is that, but um, they could have possibly got everything made in a couple of hours and then they'd have needed two hours in the freezer. Those freezers would have been struggling in that heat as well. So to point that out, I just will say something about Laura. At one point, oh, bless her. I mean, I was just, I felt so sorry for her, even though, you know, it, it was her own thing, that fault that she didn't put it on. But at one point she shoved it in and I think said something like hope and pray. And she walked away from the freezer and left the freezer door open. And I was looking at it going, shut the door, shut the door. <laughs> Howard, when they got told you've got one minute left, I think Lottie uh, turned to the camera and said, to what, redo the whole cake? And at that point, did you think she was going i must admit i thought possibly laura was was going to go this week it was one of the few episodes where you really couldn't tell on towards the end do you think the right decision was made i, th- I think i on balance i think the right decision was made but i think there were lots of things at work within this particular challenge and within the episode as a whole so obviously you've got the heat of being in the tent and i reckon i, I think i said a couple of weeks ago that i wondered whether this sort of bubble situation would over time cause a little bit of stress. And I just got the feeling that we were seeing some quite stressed um, people. And I think sadly, Laura was was one of them. And uh, I don't like to see people getting quite so upset by things, but I think she was um, believing that what she'd produced wasn't up to scratch. And it's not until you look at that in comparison with others, and sadly in this case against Lottie, that you sort of think, I think you've just done enough to um, to survive, really. Well, Dan, there was this moment, wasn't there, where almost I think Lottie said something akin to Laura of, well, does looking at mine make you feel better? And I can't read in Laura's mind, but I couldn't help but think maybe she was like, Mm, well maybe a little bit (laughs) i don't think so listen right the thing is obviously like you don't want to go home no one wants to go home um but uh for me for me the biggest thing was i just didn't want to look incompetent i didn't want to look like i didn't know what i was doing and i think everyone going into the show knows that there may come a point where your best isn't good enough there may come a time where no matter how hard you try you're not good enough to continue in the competition but you don't want to go home because you just completely messed up and look like, and you know, you don't want to look foolish. And I think, I, I think Laura was telling the absolute truth there. I think she, she was just being honest. She was like, no, it doesn't make, I mean, yeah, maybe you'll go home, but I still don't feel good about what I've done here. Um, and I, 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 no, I think, I think Laura is sincere. I think we have to give her the benefit of the doubt with that one. And I certainly do. Well, she was my tip from the beginning, so I'm giving her every benefit of the doubt that you possibly could. (laughs) Now, Jane, just on Laura, she got a little bit of criticism from Paul Hollywood for putting the brownie in this because he said you'd lose all that fudgy element. Was that a a wrong decision for her to go with a brownie in a cake like this, do you think? Um, Probably, I think. Um, But I also think Paul was being ultra-critical. But yes, probably brownies, as we know from whatever week it was, um, have to be soft and squidgy in the middle and you're, they're going to just be hard little lumps of chocolate cake if you stick it in the freezer. Um, but I think overall her ice creams, they said, sounded nice. Um, praline ice cream, absolutely delicious. Praline and chocolate, perfect combination. And you know that the judges do forgive a bit of melting on a hot day. Um, and 
oh god I just felt so sorry for all of them um yeah going back to saying you know was it the right decision between Laura and Lottie um as I was going through you know I think Laura just edged it in the signature she was just ahead of Lottie in the technical and I think she was just ahead of Lottie in this challenge as well if Lottie had made it look lovely I think she might have uh, pulled it off but poor old Lottie um it, it really wasn't her week was it but we, we haven't mentioned her mean I mean hers looked stunning I, I think sometimes because she doesn't get stressed and it, it it's not a car crash we don't mention her enough but doesn't it look beautiful and lovely flavors and she really did pull it off I mean I think we have to just we just have to mention her in, in all these sort of slight car crashes that went on in these ice cream cakes. That the one person in the tent that managed to do it and do it really well was Hermine. How delicious and beautiful was that? And, and she used a spray booth. I haven't. Have, has anybody ever used a spray booth before? I don't remember that. I'm impressed she got away with that. When I when I was when I was on Bake Off, um, I wanted to use a dehumidifier, and they said, "Oh no, you can't use that because it looks too commercial. It doesn't look like a home bakingy thing. So please don't use it." So I'm kind of surprised they let her use it. It seemed to be like a proper a proper pneumatic uh, spray gun and a shield. And I'm like, "Wow, that looks very professional." I mean, um, but uh, it was nice that somebody did get a very professional result. And I think you're absolutely right, Jane, that because she, she hasn't. I mean, her signature was a little dramatic, but generally she's sort of fl flown under the radar quite a lot because she's not panicking and having disasters, is she? So, um, no, I think, yeah, we're all, everyone's talking about Lottie because obviously we're all devastated. Um, but yeah, we should probably take a minute to celebrate Hermine because she did do she did do a fantastic job. And she was uh, we've been waiting for her to be star baker for a long time. And thank God she finally won it because she is it's a bit overdue as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that is remarkable to, to have sort of seven bakers be seven star bakers in the, in the seven weeks we've had. It, it is remarkable. I, I think um, that I, I don't think it's ever happened before. I might be wrong. Um, we'd need to check on that. But I think um, what, what it also shows is that somebody who's been star baker in the past, like, like Lottie, for example, can then go. And I think that 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 means that we've got a very evenly matched group now. So just as anybody could be Starbaker again, anybody could go, and that that's quite a, a nail biting situation. Yeah, I mean, Dan, have you, have you changed at all on your thoughts about who's going to win? I know you're quite keen on Peter. You thought earlier on. I think Peter just has the quiet air of a winner, and I think what's what's really funny about. Peter is like, um, so there's a couple of them, like Peter and Dave are both like laser focused on winning this. Uh, you can tell. But uh, Dave, you can kind of tell he's really competitive. Uh, but with Peter, he sort of gets away with it because he's got a big smile on his face and he's sort of, uh, you know, he seems quite chill, even though you know he's desperate to win. So so Peter is somehow being really competitive, but also really charming about it in the, in the same breath. So, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying Peter. I'm still pinning my hopes on Peter. I accept that my two finalist picks, which were Lottie and Mark, have now slightly derailed. But uh, we'll get on to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, no, Laura's actually been uh, really impressing me. I think she has, she's got a real fight to her. She's been in danger in the showstopper several times. And you can see, like, she, she's not a quitter. She's someone who's going to fight to the bitter end and give her best. And I think that 
that is one of the hallmarks of a finalist. So I think we, we, Laura's impressing me and I'm feeling like we might see her in the final now. Now, Howard, we are seven weeks in. I know it might be difficult for you to continue to come up with humps, although you kind of managed to get three for the price of one last week. So I hope you've got something for us today. I have. I, well, a couple, actually. First of all, I, I have to say, I didn't like the theme of this week. I thought the 1980s was, I thought it was stretching it a little bit. I think the ice cream cake, yes, Vianetta was 1980s, um, invention but arctic rolls been around since the 1950s so it could easily have been um oh party classics cream week dairy week again it i i, I didn't really get the kind of 1980s i thought they were stretching it a little bit to, to do that but the other thing that annoyed me was Something that Paul said at the very beginning, which was, it's really hot in the tent today, so the bakers have to concentrate on what they're doing. And it's like, oh, that's a really helpful bit of advice, Paul. Yes, that's all you need to do on a hot day, just concentrate. Before we go, I just want to offer commiserations, Dan, because I know how enamoured you were with the hair of Mark with a K. Um, were you behind your sofa in tears when he departed last week? I can't talk about it, Josh. I can't talk about it. And I'm really devastated, Howard, that you've called me out like this, saying that I want to touch his hair. Because now <laughs> when I meet him and do try and touch his hair, you're going to make me look really creepy. Um, <laughs> no, I am devastated. And actually, my obsession with Mark, I feel, is justified because as someone pointed out, he looks quite like my husband. So really, I think it's a tribute to my husband, my obsession with Mark. But yeah, no, I, I, I am devastated to see Mark go last week. And I'm really devastated to see Lottie go this week. You know, they were, they're sort of like, they're my two kind of you know just from a personality perspective they were sort of like my favorites I'd love to go for a drink with and I'm devastated to see them gone um but then on the flip side one of the things that I always I feel like such a hypocrite because one of the things I always say is you know it's a baking competition and people should be judged for their baking like that should be the way you judge them and yet here I am being devastated because my sort of personal favorites are gone so I'm I'm kind of I'm gutted but I'm also in the same breath, like thrilled that like people are being judged on baking. And, you know, there, there were all sorts of people who say things like, oh, you know, Paul fancies Lottie. So therefore she'll be around to the final. And I think this sort of proves that no, he does. He does come down to the baking and I am very sad. And I wish that Lottie and Mark were still there, but they have been judged to be wanting on their baking on those weeks. And it seems it's, I have to concede that it's a fair decision. Very sadly. Thank you to all three of you for being on the, the podcast with us this week. Only three more episodes to go. We're at the quarterfinal stage. For all of those of you that have been listening and leaving reviews to the podcast, thank you so much. And we know many of you have joined us at online classes. We have classes every weekend. We hope you'll continue to join us and they will be carrying on into the new year as well if you're thinking about Christmas presents. So do go to bakethelegend.com slash online classes. Well, that's it for this week. We will be back next Wednesday to reflect on the quarterfinal. We'll see you then. You just heard a stripped media production. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.